Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to The Moments That Made Me with me, your host, Roxy Nafusi. This week I am joined by an extremely special guest, the one and only Shaman Durek. Shaman Durek is a sixth generation shaman, a spiritual guide and a gifted healer. He acts as a mediator or bridge between the spiritual and physical planes. His new book, Spirit Hacking, Shamanic Keys to Reclaim Your Personal Power, Transform Yourself and Light Up the World, is helping thousands of people around the globe. And I'm so excited to be sitting with him today to hear his three defining moments. Hello, Shaman Durek. Hello. Now, I will tell you all listening now that I have just had a shamanic healing, which was my first experience of any anything like that. And it was unbelievable. It was eye-opening. It was um, very physical. I, like, I had this kind of crazy, I shouldn't say the word crazy, but I had this energetic <coughs> feeling in my body. Things were vibrating, I was laughing, I was shaking. And I, I mean, I've just walked in your house and you've just done it like that. And I was about to ask you, but I wanted to start recording first. Do you have on and off with healing? Like, how do you differentiate when you meet someone? Do you have to get in that zone or is it just how you are all the time? It's how I am all the time. Yeah, there's no on and off. And when you when you fully step into the embodiment of who you are and why you came here, you kind of get out of that idea of needing to step into something more so than it's just a part of you. You know, it's the same thing that we do in our lives. It's like when you brush your teeth or take a shower, there was a time when it was taught to you and then it just became a part of your lifestyle choice. Right. Mm. Well, it's the same thing. It's a part of my lifestyle choice to always be in connection to my ancestors, to see energy, to see spirits, to see, you know, what's going going on in people's lives and to be aware because my role on earth is to be here to support people to be their their like their very best leader that they can become wow it's so refreshing to see someone who is so authentic in anything that they do and so to sit across from you and know that you live and breathe the things that you're teaching people is so powerful and I think that's why you speak to so many people and why you've been able to reach so many people because it comes from such an authentic place and because you embody everything that you teach you don't teach it and then kind of go back to another way you know you actually are your lessons yeah absolutely and I think also too like there's a there's a middle point there too because you know I'm not I'm not perfect and I'm on this planet to also enrich my own life mm-hmm. and so the the more that I can step into my own triggers and the more I can like not point the finger and say oh it's this person's fault and really stay in that space of my own autonomy with spirit with ancestor and with my friends and family around me and listening to their counsel just as much as I'm giving counsel and staying in that very humble place to receive the knowledge and the wisdom they have to share with me allows me to really be able to cultivate my life in a way that I can go even greater and more and who I am so that I can be more available to others Mm. and also to myself. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's the thing is you never stop learning, do you? No. You you never stop growing. I always say everyone is your teacher and everything is a lesson. And that that ability to want to grow and learn constantly and be humble and accept help, no matter how um, high up you are in your position of any role or how... uh, 
kind of admired you are by others in your in you know your area of expertise you're still always always room for growth and as you teach you learn absolutely i mean every person that i that i spend time with i'm learning and then also too like i always say like you know when parents can look at their kids and say hey what is it that you want to teach me on how to become a better parent like that's when you get really into what it means to be in the shamanic understanding because shamanism is about relationship it's about the relationship you build with yourself the relationship you build with food the relationship you build with with nature and your ancestors and your friends and your family and your loved ones and the nature you build on a global level and so if you can't have relationship with people on a very like real level you know that's mm-hmm. i always say like wellness is realness you know mm-hmm. then then what can then what are you doing you know mm-hmm. because like if you're just a parent and you're just telling your kids what to do all the time but your kids can't come back and say hey i have wisdom to share with you as well mm-hmm. i was just on the other side and i have knowledge to share in ways that you can be a better parent you know mm-hmm. ways that you can learn about things that you're doing that's affecting my life and vice versa so i think there's this point this pivotal point in our evolution when we get out of the idea of right and wrong and needing to kind of like fit ourselves in one of those boxes and get more into the idea of evolution as a whole and that the key to evolution is just being open to realizing that you're never going to be the same person that you are today as you will be tomorrow mm. so anyone who ever holds you to that person that you were tomorrow we're all is always going to miss out on the person you are today yeah. so if we kind of look at that and realize that like tomorrow you know or you're going to be a total different person yeah. so i'm going to be okay with that right yeah i think that's so said so a good i'm glad you brought that up because i think that often happens with people our families are mostly but also very very close friends to us they don't like to accept growth and people that are on these journeys often come to me and they say you know I've changed and I've done lots of inner work and I'm feeling much better myself but it's really affected my relationships because there is such why, why do you think that people struggle with seeing people around them grow and that they kind of box them as this person and they can't accept them when they become different I I feel like that comes from people holding expectations of who they want someone to be to them. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the biggest things we have on our earth, on this earth is our attachments, right? Our attachments to our car, attachments to like even just calling me Shaman Dirk, right? Like that's even an attachment as well, Mm -hmm. right? So like any attachment that I may have to anything material or non-material has some kind of idea or agenda attached to it, right? So like if you have a friend or a family member, you have an attachment to them. And so therefore you have some kind of stake and some investment in their life and when you have a friend people don't realize your friend is investing in you every time they open their mouth every time they spend time with you every time they take you out to dinner there's an investment in that friendship so people feel that they have the liberty to say okay well this is how I want you to show up but the reality is and this is where we get into emotional intelligence is that the reality of the perspective of life cannot go any further if we continue to stay the same. So in order for us to truly see new innovations, new ideas, new technologies, new advancements in science, new ways that we perceive ourselves spiritually and intellectually, we have to be willing to step outside of that which we know into what we call the unknown. And that means we can't go into the unknown with our preconceived ideas and knowledge that we've already learned because that information is no longer valid in the unknown. Well, I could let this digress for hours with you. So I'm going to bring it back to what my podcast is actually called, which is the moments that made me. So I was like, oh God. I was like, maybe I should just forget the concept of my podcast and just go with this. But anyway, let me bring you back to your first defining moment that led you to where you are today. I would say my first defining moment was when I was molested by my um, dad's business partner's daughter and I was a little kid and she molested me took me into the bathroom and like you know she's an older woman and she forced herself onto me and I think for me on a spiritual level it was also kind of like you know this almost like do I go along with this do I really have power here it was very much of a power play you know of really understanding like like what's happening to me. And I think in that perspective, it taught me something about humanity. It taught me something about people and how people operate 
in um in their spectrums and what type of spectrums they're operating in and as a little kid who's you know you would think like I'm this boy and I'm like I have this older woman who wants to 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 have intimacy with me but there was this also this part of me that was like I didn't want to have intimacy because I wasn't ready mm-hmm. and so then it made me really open my eyes to like when I'm ready is when I'm going to do it and like not feeling like I have to be forced into anything and that gave me this really strong strength inside of me mm-hmm. to like really say no I'm not ready I don't and need to do that did you say it at that time no I was an observer and an experiencer mm-hmm. and that's what that's why I feel it was such a defining moment for me because it gave me an understanding of why didn't I say that Mm. and then the reason why was oh because she's my elder oh because she's my superior right and so then I realized after that moment is when I started actually speaking back to my father and when he would say things to me that he thought was wise or giving me some instruction as a parent I would say, you know, dad, that information you're sharing with me is based in fear. It's based in lack. It's based in this. It's based in that. And I just don't feel the wisdom in there. Can you restructure it for me? And he'd be like, what? You know, that's quite a (laughs) courageous thing for a young boy to do, because I mean, your father, I I mean, I don't I'm not a man myself, but, you know, you see a son father relationship and there is, you know, a level of respect and and, and to some extent fear. Um, And there isn't a sense, I think, as a young child that you have the right or the authority to speak your voice in these ways. So how did you gain that courage to do it? And you I think we're just about to say, but how was it received? It wasn't received well, you know, I got in trouble and of course I got whipped and I went through a lot of beatings and stuff. But at the same time, what I learned from that is that adults and people in this world are going to say whatever they're going to say to you without looking or putting it through inspection, meaning they're not discerning what they're saying. They're not saying, is this information coming from the highest level of love? Or is this just me regurgitating information that was told to me mm-hmm. in the way that I think I should be as a quote unquote parent? And as a, for me to experience that at age 11 and then really see the turnaround of how he would react through his triggers because of what I was saying to him, because he felt like, who are you to speak to me? I'm your father. I'm your superior was the same feeling I felt when I was being molested by that girl. It was like this idea of. You know, same thing. And I has been I was molested before as a, through my male babysitter when I was even younger than that. And so it was interesting seeing this dichotomy of these two juxtapositions of the idea of, OK, your power is only stated when someone listens to you, acts and takes your whatever it is you're saying as truth and, and command. But the moment I choose to say no, then you feel powerless. So then I realized that power in our world comes from suggestions and words and ideas and that true power is autonomy. I mean, you're 11. <laughs> it's, phenom- it's strange when you're talking to me. I'm kind of seeing you as this 11-year-old boy in front of me yes. going through this experience. It's it's really as strange. I actually see it. I, I bet see, you do. I see you. Um, so what happened next? How did you start to grow into a, a young teen and a, and a man eventually, you know, what was the journey for you from this moment? Did you, it's not something that happens overnight, you know, it's a, it's a journey, it's growth, it's learning. Who was around to help you with this? So I had a lot of family members. Our family, my family's roots come from Ghana and then over to Haiti and from Haiti to Nolens. And my father used to always talk about how he was apprenticeship to different members of our family, but they hid it in respect to who they were because our culture comes from Yoruban culture. But in those days, in the 1800s and like in in 19 uh, in the 1920s when my father was born, that was um, something you don't just talk about with people. So you would call yourself just a Catholic. And so when people would see you, they would see you as a Catholic, um, but you knew what was going on behind the scenes. And so my father, you know, was gravitating more away from it because my grandfather was becoming a Seventh-day Adventist minister and he was trying to pull everyone away from it. But the shamanic roots of our spiritualism and where we come from and which was embedded in me was still there. So I had some family members in the family on my dad's side who was like, let me help you. Let me train you. Let me get you into this mindset. And then my father saying, this is not what we're going to do anymore. We need to listen to grandfather. But 
you're not allowed to go spend a night at your friend's house because they might, you know, put a spell on you or a hex or a curse. And he would always write our names on our clothes so that way nothing could come to the house that wasn't ours. And he would check my pockets every time I would come home. And so it was almost like that. You're, you're a little bit of a contradiction, right? And so what it did for me was it really made me start testing and seeing like, okay, if my grandfather has now pulled my father away from his roots, which is in Yoruban culture, where he was like, you know that apprentice to my to my great grandmother and and to my family members and to the sisters then I need to look and see what my what my grandfather's doing and so I got into the religion I got into the bible and I started really studying it and we have like shabbat shalom Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this pivotal moment in my life where my grandfather said to everyone in the room when he was lighting the candle and said we were making Shabbat, you know, that we're not allowed to play. We're not allowed to work. This is the day of God's rest. And so therefore we must rest and we must just acknowledge God and rest. And uh, and I said, well, what happens if we don't? And he said, well, and then he read me the scripture that said, like, well, then God, the boy who carried wool, uh, wood on the Sabbath was was struck down by God. And so I was like, oh. So I told my sister, well, you know, my grandfather was a big train maker. He like built these really amazing train sets and he had this room that was huge where he had all these trains at our our family's house in Sacramento. And I told my sister, I want you to have all my toys. I want you to have all my things because I'm not going to be living anymore. And she said, what do you mean, Ducky? That's my nickname. And I said, because when I go to grandfather's house this time, I'm going to break the Sabbath and I'm going to play with his train set the one that we're not allowed to touch. She goes, oh my God, please don't do that. You shouldn't do that. I'm going to tell dad. I go, no, don't tell dad. I said, because I need to see for myself. I need to see if this God that he speaks of would actually strike me down for being a kid. So while everyone was in their Sabbath, I said, can I go use the bathroom, grandpa? And he goes, okay, boy, go over there and use the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and I went inside the room and I saw all the trains and I saw all the little villages he used to build. And I turned the light on and I turned on the train set and watched it go around the tracks. And I sat there and I kept looking up at the sky, at the roof, really, not the sky, but the roof, and wondering when God's going to do this to me. You know, I was scared. And uh, so I was like, I have to do this. And then I waited. And then all of a sudden, my aunt came in and smacked me and knocked me off the seat. And I got, you know, beat for it. And I got in trouble. And what, what, what transpired in my mind was when my father was, um, you know, taking it out on me, I said, I know the truth now. I know the truth. You're all liars. And he goes, what do you mean by that? I said, I don't have to tell you. I know the truth. And what the truth was for me was that people like to tell people who God is. They want to tell you what is right in their ideas of what they think you should do and follow as far as what the spiritual context is. But the thing is, the stories that they told did not match up to what they were saying because I tested them. So then I said to myself, if this is the case, then my journey in my shamanism needs to be to understand God and really understand it. And when I was in Israel, which was an amazing time for me, I went to the Wailing Wall with a friend of mine and um, she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to pray at the Wailing Wall. And you take the little notes you write to God and you put in the wall. And she goes, what's your question? I said, who God is? I asked who God is. I said, God, who are you? And I saw this light and then it went to this tiny little grain of soil and then it went into a plant and an ant and a tree and a bear and a dog and a cat and a tree and a person and the sky and the moon and the universe and everything. And it just kept going and going into my cells and every single thing. And it's then it just was this pulsating energy. And it says, whatever you want me to be, I become. And it was just so clear in my mind at that point that God, our creation, is whatever we say it is. And so if I say to God, you are a being of love that loves unconditionally, then that's what God is to me. And that's what kind of experience I'm going to have, as it would be different for someone else. And that really shifted my life in a huge way because it made me understand that every single person is having a different experience of life on earth as according to their upbringing, what they were told, what they experienced, what they ate, what they heard, what they felt, and what they seen. And therefore, who am I to tell someone they're wrong in their views? Mm. Oh my goodness. So what you learned, or one of the things you learned in that moment was complete non-judgment. 
mm-hmm. right? Complete acceptance of everybody as they are in that moment without any need for change. Yeah, Just I mean, because like, what love. do you want to change? Pure love. Yeah, it's like, I love you regardless. Like, you could come in with blue hair and then tell me you hate the color blue tomorrow. And I'm not going to be like, but you said you liked blue hair yesterday. Yeah. I'm going to be like, cool, what do you like today? And do you think that that is something I think especially at the moment in the media there's a lot about judgment right um because of the way it's affecting people so much and for me one of the things that I is is what something I value the most is non-judgment fathers um and you know it's something that grates me so much um but how do you think to someone listening who finds himself because judging others is something that we do in it's sort of without realizing, right? Because of the things that we are taught and because of uh, culture or different beliefs. And Yeah, but that's not why we judge each other. It's not because of culture and different beliefs. But what do you think, where do you think it comes from and what can we do to, as a society and as individuals, to be able to see people and remove judgment well a lot of times we and you and i like what you said you said judgment comes to different cultures and different beliefs and people will have that understanding but in shamanism what we like to do is kind of like narrow it down to like the symbolist form Mm -hmm. right judgment comes from fear fear of not knowing Mm -hmm. fear of not understanding and fear of missing information so when someone sees like for instance, a one tribe, okay, is a tribe that wears colors and is full of life and energy and they celebrate all the time. And the other tribe wears drab clothes. They're very disciplined and they like to go to bed very early and they're not into celebration. They're into more like keeping a very like low energy because they want to honor and respect the sacredness mm-hmm. of everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this tribe sees the other tribe. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact that this tribe is needing to judge this tribe. They're only judging because they don't understand. Mm. And the way we were taught as human beings on planet Earth is to analyze things and to hold it up against what? What we have available. And what Mm -hmm. do we have available? Our own teachings, Mm -hmm. our own knowledge, our Mm -hmm. own information. And when we hold it up against our own knowledge, our own information, we realize it's completely different. And therefore, there's no logical sense in it. Mm -hmm. We can't really make sense of holding it up to that. Do you understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So because of that, we then create a fear. And that fear is what will cause me to go to war with that other tribe. Because that fear will be, they're doing things different, which threatens the way we live our lives. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we must eliminate them so we don't have to see it anymore, so we can get back to the way we were. Mm -hmm. And that's all we've been doing since the dawning of time, is eliminating so we feel safe. Mm. But the thing is, in order for us to become, how I say, more... I would say introductive beings, meaning that we're, we're safe to introduce ourselves from the nature of our presence and knowing that we already know each other. So it's not like we're really meeting. It's just that we're just seeing each other. It's really stepping into a space of in order for me to truly understand you is to not understand you and just accept you. Mm. And then through that acceptance is my invitation to come into your world and learn of your ways, Mm. which means that it has nothing to to reflect a negative upon my own ways. Mm -hmm. And therefore, then I can create a conversation of learning. And then if there's something you feel that you want to learn from me, then I can share it with you. But I'm not here to change you. I'm only here to observe and experience. And when we get into that mindset, that's how we begin to create conversations between cultures, races, sexuality, and things that people, you know, religions, and you name it, right that people are fighting and causing so much turmoil and chaos and pain and suffering and death and decay and destruction and degradation because of their unwillingness to realize that that which they they are afraid of is truly just themselves that was stunning i absolutely loved that i mean what an amazing message and such a great teaching because it is it is just about and it comes back to what we we're saying in the beginning about learning from each other and openness and loving people just as they are and not worrying that other people's differences are going to force you to change in a way that you don't want to exactly can you imagine a world where we could get to that place 
Oh, I love that. I love, I feel, I'm smiling away. I was smiling the whole time I was listening to that. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Baffled, a brand new podcast bringing you some amazing facts that are complete nonsense. Imagine the likes that would get on Instagram, you having a quick one up a lamppost on the moon, incredible. So you basically <laughs> saying the reason the dinosaurs stopped living is because they all collectively made a decision to have no more children. Oh, they're talking about, I think until 10 years ago, I, I still shared the bathwater that my parents were in. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Baffled Amazing Facts. What would be your second defining moment? I would say what defined me, what helped define me a lot in my childhood was racism. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up in a very predominantly white neighborhood, being uh, one out of, let's say, 14 black families in a very wealthy um, upper middle class uh, neighborhood. Uh, I would say that having racism directed at me it didn't make sense to me at first even though i heard my father's stories of like lynchings and things that he experienced when he was in a on the road um with music and stuff like that and jazz and everything uh, when he walked away from um certain things in his life and he decided to go into the music world i i never really understood it until i actually experienced it the the feeling of going on an elevator and having someone grab their bag because they think you're gonna they're gonna mug you or you're gonna mug them. Take that aside, flip that around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my dyslexia. That uh, you're gonna mug them, or you know, having your teacher teach uh, treat you differently because of the color of your skin, or having kids uh, call you you know the n word every time you get a chance, and coon bear and uh, raccoon and anything they could come out of their mouths. Having people, police officers, uh, mess with you more so than the average be- just because of the color of your skin and because you grew up in a family with money. And who are you to have money? You should be poor because of the color of your skin. And so it, I started to hate being me. I hated it so much that I used to save my money, my allowance money, and go to the store and find bleaching cream and try to bleach my skin so that I could be white. And every day I would go to bed at night and I would pray to God, please, when I wake up, let me be white so that my life is easier. And um, that weighed on me a lot, even to relationships. I remember a girl saying, oh, I would never date a black man, you know, or having um, my buddies in school who were the blonde hair, blue eyed guys with the brown hair, green eyed, always getting like the hot girl. And then. I'm everyone saying that, you know, well, you know, these girls tell me like I could never bring home a black boy to my parents, you know, it just is unacceptable. And then finally kind of coming to terms with that to a point of kind of loathing on myself. I started developing an eating disorder. I um, started eating a lot, um, gained a lot of weight, became really fat. Um, Then I became then I started wanting to lose the weight. So I started getting into I started becoming bulimic throwing up my food, eating, throwing up my food, then hiding, then going back the other way and eating a lot. And then I realized one day 
that it wasn't going to stop unless I stopped it. Mm. It didn't matter what anyone said or what my teacher said or what the bus driver said. We're very relevant. Do I ever did I take the bus? But mostly, my father had someone take me, have drive me to school. But the point is, is that when I was on the bus, you know, or any of the things that I was doing, um, I got to a point where it just didn't matter. I needed to come to grips in terms that this bleaching cream isn't working. It just burns my skin and it hurts. Um, God's not answering my prayer. And um, all my toys are white, and I don't understand. Every show on TV is white, and the only ones that are that that are you know with color would be, you know, Fred Sanford and um, you know the Jeffersons. And then finally, the Cosby Show came out, which kind of gave me some uh, sense of like, oh, okay, I can relate to that. That's more like my household. And then it was like, you know, it didn't really matter because at that point, I realized like this is this is who I am. And I have to embrace this. And when I chose to embrace it, I had to look at my own self-hatred. And when I went in and realized that the biggest racist there was, wasn't the person on the elevator. It wasn't the bus driver. It wasn't the person in school or the kids driving by and calling me the N-word. It was me. And when I was able to see that, and love that and heal that and cry and scream and ask myself why and be able to heal that and transform that from within, I never got called those names again. I have I have goosebumps that there's so much I want to say about that. I mean, firstly, I think as you tell those stories um, and the racism that you've uh, were you know, a subject of, it makes me think so much about my own son and that love I have for this like innocent child, right? And all innocent children. Mm -hmm. And to think about you as a child or my son growing up to be that age and just hating who they are and wanting to not be them makes me so sad it really is and then when you say that at the end that the biggest racist of all was you it just makes so much sense doesn't it Mm. because you go you were the one who in the end were trying to bleach your own skin and not be the color that you were (laughs) exactly but it it's like a penny drops as you say it and you go ah yeah and that is when you know i say time and time and again to people you can only be free when you take responsibility for everything in your life you know all the good all the bad but if you can own something and and it's yours you can change it but only then only when you own it as your own can you have the power to change it and heal it and wow that was that's incredible i'm sorry that you went through that but i'm no, not don't because be sorry. i'm so happy that you went through that journey to and healed and found that strength from it um and the reason you know this podcast is is called the moments that made me is because it's something that did define you yeah you know when i see like um gang members fighting and it's i see like melanated melanated brother and sister fighting in these gangs and it's just like i know what you're doing you're just projecting your own racism onto the other person and when i see like the people you know who are fighting you know the whites fighting blacks or blacks fighting whatever however you want to say it it's just their own inner racism with themselves And I, it, 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 it was really good that I got to that point because if I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. Yeah. You know, and there's not one person on this planet. I mean, I remember once uh, I had a KKK member put a gun to my head huh? and uh, I didn't have fear. It was just like I just stood there and was like, I know why you're doing this. And it wasn't it wasn't me who hurt you. I wasn't that person. But I understand when you want to take it out on me because of what that person did, but it wasn't me. And they just dropped the gun and they were like, who are you? And 
we end up becoming friends, you know, wow. and I've had a lot of like KKK members and like white supremacist group people who were in the KKK or in that those skinhead groups, you know, mm-hmm. become friends with me. And it was because I helped them understand where it was coming from, mm-hmm. you know, but I would have never been able to do that if it had not been for my own experience and I would never have lived in a Muslim country in an Israeli country. And, mm-hmm. you know, every single person on this planet, I love every mm-hmm. color, every person, no matter what, because that's the, that's the beauty of mm-hmm. creation. Yeah. I mean, I have to say it's, it's on a much smaller scale and it's different, but being Iraqi and growing up in Oxford when the Iraqi war broke out, you know, I was locked in a phone box and called Saddam for, you know, for five hours, a memory that I had forgotten until I was, you know, I was told by my mom that it had happened. But, you know, I changed my name from Rowan, which is my real name, to Roxy, to be different. And I think there was such a sense, I don't know if you agree, but casual racism was huge when, certainly when I was a child. And what I do feel very proud of is that I do think that society now is, it is a better place for everybody. And there has been such a shift in a movement. And I really do believe that young people now and the generations after that will be more able to be themselves, people of any race. Um, and I, you know, I really am happy to be a part of this growth um, in the world, actually. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I think that everything that you and I and everyone else is doing is to really to make that a true proclamation and a foundation that, that, you know, I think that we are what we call the, you know, the front runners, right? And the front runners are the ones who hold the front line. If you look at like, you know, war, they have like hold the front line. That means like those who are in the front are holding the line for those who are coming, you know, and like, that's the most challenging place to be because we are the ones who are like in the trenches, in the muck. We're like taking the first bullets, taking the first hits, you know, and surviving it or not surviving it either or. But the the, the, the beauty and the nobility of it is so poetic. And yet so I, I would say for myself individually, because of like especially being in the wellness world and like being the guy who's like the melanated brother who's holding down that space for others to step up and say, hey, let's like I even put a post the other day saying like we need more diversity in the wellness world. You know, mm. it's like kind of really cutting through that 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 very thin line of separation and segregation mm-hmm. and really start understanding and teaching the wellness community about true community, mm-hmm. not just community based upon what you see in a magazine and mm-hmm. what you see on a billboard and who's hot and who's doing the yoga pose upside down, drinking a green smoothie or <laughs> some new purple drink that looks yeah. like blueberry something, I don't know what you want to call it. And every picture, you know, is fabulous one. But it's also being able to kind of get into the realness of it, of like, how are we creating knowledge and information in a society and in a community so that we can actually be the, the this, you know, these on the front line people who are creating an easier pathway for those who are coming so that they're able to express and share and create from a very collective space versus just an individual fear-based space Mm. but really turning it into a a we versus a you versus me yeah absolutely and i'm proud to be sat next to one of the front runners and you know representing diversity within the wellness world and you know sharing such love and such powerful messages thank you i've already learned so much but we're not done we're not done so what is your third defining moment i would say my third defining moment was dying in my 20s um, from high blood pressure that blew out my kidneys. And when I died, it was a very horrible death, very painful. But what was defining about it was... Sorry, how long... I'm just shocked by that was a moment that I haven't had on the show before. How long did you die for? About four and a half minutes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I came back brain damaged. I was in a wheelchair for about almost two years. <gasps> I had um, uh, was on dialysis for eight. And um, I was told I was never going to walk or talk again. I was going to be a vegetable. I was also told that um, 
that I wasn't even going to make it in the hospital when it did. Like, they were literally urging my father to pull the plug. What had happened? So I had high blood pressure that was um, that really got to the bad point. Uh, my dad, it was all my family members are really di- diagnosed with high blood pressure. My grandfather, my dad, all of them. And I never took it really seriously. But in shamanism, we always call any kind of illness that you get is a rites of passage from spirit. It's like spirit gives you these illnesses to see if you can overcome them and you can actually stand in your power and be the leader and be the messenger for spirit. And uh yeah, and so my kidneys, the glumerous in my kidneys blew out and I got really sick and uh, my body filled up with potassium and my, my one into cardiac arrest. But it was after each organ shut down before my heart shut down, which is the last one. And the muscles, when you have high potassium, your muscles shut down one by one so you can feel all your organs shutting. It's the most painful sensation in your body. And you go through convulsing and, you know, you try to scream, but then your lung collapse and you can't breathe. And then, you know, it just gets more intense. But I don't think that's the, the defining moment. I think the defining moment for me was realizing that when I died and they showed me how I affected the lives of other people, just even in just the way I walked by them in the street or how I acknowledged them or just the way I was thinking was actually affecting the world. And when I went to the other side and they showed me... When you say they, who do you mean? The spirits, mm-hmm. the ones who come for you when you, when you pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to the other side, I was given um, a very clear view of Earth why we're here and what we're doing and what this is all about and my role um, that I could choose if I wanted to. And what was I thought was very fascinating was that there's no rules. It's like we're creating them based on our belief systems and our belief systems are being held by our ego. So our ego is there to make whatever we believe real. And so when I learned all that and just learned about human suffering in general and why we actually choose it versus choosing joy and a planet that's based in love. Um, I found that human beings have accepted and drank in the, the Kool-Aid, as I would say. So when I was on the other side and they asked me if I wanted to come back after I had this amazing experience visiting friends who passed away and family and swimming and eating and like, Climbing and flying and changing myself into sound waves and having the most amazing time in what we call heaven. Uh, I was taken back to the beach in remembrance where you have all your memories raced. And they said, do you want your memories raced again so you can fully embrace that that body on earth? And I said, no, not this time. I'm okay." And they said, well, if you go back with that, you're always going to remember this place and you might not want to stay, but it's your choice. And I said, that's the thing I have to live with. And I'm okay with it. And they said, okay. And I came back. And when I came back, the doctors were like, you know, you can't walk. I was on life support. Like, you know, your kidneys are failed. Your liver is failing. Like, um, your lungs have collapsed. You know, you're told you're not going to, you're going to be in a wheelchair. You're going to be on dialysis. Like, just everything. was And bad. how did you feel when you woke up? Um, when I woke up the first time, I was, they brought me back, uh, from shocking me um, and they gave me some adrenaline boost and then I couldn't make it so they crashed again so they put me in a coma an induced coma I came out of that induced coma and um, I mean you, you, you feel pretty shitty when you have a tube down your mouth and you're trying to get it out but you can't you know and like uh, you're, you have people talking over you but you can't really communicate because your body's not functioning but your spirit is and um, and when I was in my coma, I was just kind of walking around the hospital and like listening to everyone come and visit me. And like, you know, it was really quite interesting, actually. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was the fact that my father gave up. And that was like a really telltale sign for me um, is that he knows how powerful I am, but he gave up. He gave up like he was in charge of my willing my, you know, my all my medical stuff. You know, he had power of attorney and doctor told him like you know we don't think your son's gonna make it should you make some plans and he was already like talking over me i could hear everything he was saying and he was talking about getting a casket and like preparing getting on touch with my friends and around the world and preparing for a funeral and the person who didn't give up was my sister she was like you forget you forget who he is he's the shaman of our family this is just a test he'll pass it dad like you have some faith like where's what happened to you you know and mm-hmm. 
I believe a lot of my father gave up because he forgot about his roots, mm-hmm. you know, and he got he, he keeps he kept buying into the matrix. And for me, um, it was great that my sister did it, you know, because she didn't let them pull the plug. So they gave my sister a, a, a you know, a time frame. And when I heard them say the time frame, like he has one more night to be able to breathe on his own. And if he doesn't, we have to turn off the machine. And I remember that night was the night that was the pivotal moment for me, which was the spirit saying, do you want to stay and do this? And I said, like, yes, that like no matter how much pain it's going to cost you. I'm like, I don't care what it takes to do what I need to do for the people, for this world. I can really make impact on this planet by helping people become leaders mm. and change the way that we look at guruism and change the way we look at world leaders to becoming global leadership, not mm. just one leader stepping in front like Martin Luther King did or Malcolm X did or mm. Mandela did, but really to lead a, a, a leader regime mm. of powerful people on the planet who are individualized um you know beings who are aware of their autonomy and their power within that autonomy and joining together their their resources and collaborating to really um create more emotional intelligence on our planet create a different way of education that we don't really need right now that is more focused on how we can adapt as human beings with everything that's happening and being able to to change the narrative from celebrity-based consciousness to leadership-based consciousness and people who are really truly enacting change on the planet versus just, you know, entertaining. I mean, that's great too. That's a, that serves a purpose. But I think we glorify it too much in one area. And I think it's nice to be able to kind of spread some out for some of the other amazing doctors and teachers and Mm -hmm. scientists and, uh, you know, uh, spiritual (laughs) people out there and dancers and poets and artists and singers, people who are, you know, welders and skateboarders and people who are really out there bringing something new Mm -hmm. to what it means to be evolved. And, and, you know, people always think a spiritual person is always someone who just goes to yoga and follows the spiritual guidelines like if you do this you do this and do this you're considered spiritual but I know friends of mine who are welders and don't meditate at all and they're the most deepest profound people you know I know friends of mine who are like just like just amazing bankers and like but they're like get down in conversation with them and they'll talk real deal talk you know those are that to me is evolution to me that's spirituality so for me that defining moment was realizing that I had one night to be able to breathe. And if I didn't, that was it. It was lights out. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the spirits were like, it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful and you're going to be at it all night. And by the time your morning comes, you're going to be able to breathe again. And I just kept forcing my lungs with love to breathe and talking to them and talking to my body and like telling my body, like you're greater than what you're experiencing. And I breathed. And even though I was on dialysis for eight years and a wheelchair, like all that stuff didn't mean shit to me. Even the pain of dialysis, throwing up in the toilet, the shakes at night, the the pain, the, the, the excruciating pain of screaming myself to sleep didn't oh mean goodness. shit to me because what meant something to me was not the fact of being on dialysis, but what I would do after getting off of it. Did you always know that and you had an unwavering belief that you would fully recover? Yeah. And that kept you going. Yeah. Yeah. I believed, uh, like, I remember one time there was like a hint of doubt. And then spirit and the ancestors were like, no, no, you're going only through this so you can understand human suffering. Like, it's almost over. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all good. You have eight years. It's not a big time. Like, it's okay. You're an eternal being. Like, what's eight years to an eternal being? You know, like this yeah. biological spacesuit of you. like, we, we put so much, like, weight on this body. Mm. I was like, oh, my God. You know, and it's like, you are you are in a biological spacesuit. Like, when you go into outer space and they go, okay, the cargo bay doors are opening. Put on your spacesuit. This is a spacesuit. You are in a biological spacesuit, which means you needed two bodies to create the biological embryos that created all the nutrients and everything it needed mm. to go into a gestation period so you can form your, 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 your um, um, what we call your energy into the system that of the biological spacesuit that was being built in your mother's womb. But this is a biological spacesuit, you know, that you grow into. Um, but that's not you. You're an eternal being. So eight years of suffering to be able to help humanity in a bigger way. I mean, come on, you do the math. Well, thank you for going through that suffering for all the people that you have helped. 
And I want to ask you quickly because your book is, you know, is such a great way to reach so many people because there's only one of you. So, you know, having a book and being able to reach so many people through that. So amazing. So I just want you to tell the people listening quickly about your book and um, what the kind of main lessons are and, and why they should pick it up and change their lives. All right. So Spirit Hacking um, was a book that was that came to me through Spirit. It said, uh, you have to write a book to help people to navigate this very dark time on our earth right now that we're going through. Um, I call it a navigation guide, you know. Other people call it a spiritual tome, whatever you want to call it, you know. I mean, if you're, you're a person who, you know, is a little bit shy in, in the sense of like people just saying things very directly and showing you a different reality than the one you're actually living, you know, then, you know, take some time with it. <laughs> but I would say definitely like spirit hacking is an evolutionary tool so you can become the leader that you came here to be. And it's it's no bullshit. It's no nonsense book. It's like, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm going to let you know exactly how the darkness works, what, you know, how things operate in, in the spirit world. And, you know, you make your decisions if you want to believe it or not. I'm not here to push anything down your throat. But what I'm here to do is to give you a different looking glass to look in and and I'm just you know putting my love in the knowing that my looking glass will help you to simplify your things and to minimize the how do I say the overload of what we consider the spiritual context and change the lexicon into something that's much more easier and more digestible uh, so I wrote it in a way uh, where you don't have like these long long stories you know it's like it's like in bite size that you can just kind of digest you can open a book anywhere and just grab something from it and what I want the most is for people to just recognize their power as these beautiful giant lit leaders that they are and just step into who you are. Like stop like like not being able to give a, like a care about what anyone else thinks because no one is you. So no one can tell you how to be you. And that's really what the book is about. It's like step into that leadership that you were born to be in. Like that's why you came here and like recognize that that power principle inside of you is, is, is waiting. That wise person inside of you is waiting for you to say, hey, you know what? Step up to the helm. It's time. We, 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 we got this. It's time to do this. And that's what it's about. I love that. Well, I'm going to read it after this. And I'm very excited. But before you go, I've got 10 quick fire questions. Oh, fire questions. Okay. So. All right. Okay. okay now hold on. Let me just get myself ready for okay. these fire questions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on a game show. I feel like I'm going to win something. Is something going to oh fall God. out of the sky? I should so make a game show. That should be so great. So I love it. Okay, your most memorable book? Ooh, The Alchemist. I need to, I have that at home. I need to read it. Okay, favorite quote? Mm, I would say... Um, I would say uh, my favorite quote would be Martin Luther King's quote about... Um, you know, that we can't fight evil with evil. Mm. Most influential mentor? I would say Jesus. Because uh, ever since I read the Bible, when I was a little kid, I always said it would be my greatest dream to be able to love like he loved. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, your go-to feel-good film? I would say Clueless. <laughs> I have not seen Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I need to yeah, see it. I'm like rolling with the homies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, this is my film for this evening. Okay, a moment where you felt most proud. A moment where I felt most proud. The moment where I felt most proud. I would say the moment I felt most proud would have been when I was in Israel in one of the wars and being able to stand my ground and be there for the people when everyone was so depressed and create spiritual gatherings, activities and things for people to get involved in that I got the government to sign off on, sign off on um, to really support the Israeli people. Incredible. Um, a song that cheers you up. A song that cheers me up. <laughs> um... A song, I mean, I, have, I love country music. That's my music. But I would say a song that cheers me up. I don't know if that's my, my it's, let's see. Wow, a song. 
Shiny happy people holding, shiny happy people holding hands. Woo! I did a little dance to that. Feeling good? Cheered me up. Yeah, I like. I like. I know. I like the shiny happy people because that's what I want the world to be. <laughs> um, your top tip for dealing with stress. So my top tip with dealing with stress is is. Well, I mean, I have so many. I'll just give you, can I just give you three? Go. Okay, one, uh, do art. Some of the greatest artists, poets, writers, actors, dancers, welders came out of using stress, anger, and anxiety as a way to create something beautiful and, and amazing. Two, um, go to a rage room. We have one here in LA. Go to a rage room where you can go smash things. It's super fun. You can go do that. Um, three, I would say in dealing with stress is to um, just be a kid, you know, play some video games, bust out with like some, some like, like, you know, toys and build some Lego sets and like, you know, go skateboarding or ride a bike and do stuff that is childlike not adult childlike like adult childlike would be like going to vegas that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking like childlike like you know go to the store and buy yourself some barbie dolls and some action figures and like build a fort and just be a kid and see like what transpires i love that playfulness yeah we don't do enough of it build a sandcastle you ride a swing set when's the last time you ride a swing set oh my god i brother well, the swings here so i took wolfie on his first swing but the swing here you sit and then he sits opposite you and you swing together yeah it was so fun. But I see, loved it. It was good for you too, right? It was great for me because I'm swinging with him. See, that's why I love Walt Disney because he heaven. knew that adults needed to have fun too. Yes. Um, okay, the first three things you do when you wake up. First thing I do when I wake up is I call my girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> um, if she's not in town, but I call her always. Uh, second thing I do is I look at like what my dreams were about. And then I ask myself, like, where is places in myself that I can improve? So I look at the places inside where I've had triggers and then look at where those triggers came from. Then I do soul talk where I tell myself, like, I love how amazing you are. I love how you always at the right place at the right time. I love what a genius you are. I love how you're always showing up for yourself. I love how you're always showing up for others. I love how you're always present and how you're taking time to love, nurture, and bring nourishing food in your body. I just love the way that you walk in a room and you light up the room because you have so much love for the people around you. It's like soul talk really just does does it for me that was so i felt kind of high listening to that soul talk soul talk's a bomb soul talk i've never heard that way of describing it either yeah you're talking to your soul soul talk remember i told you like god That's is whatever it. you say god is right yeah so god's inside of you so if i say i'm stupid then what am i telling god is stupid so then right. all of a your brain cells go down so if i soul talk myself then God becomes this powerful force of energy in my life. I am going to soul talk myself till the cows come home. Okay. If the cows want to come home. <laughs> but if they don't want to come home, you should do it even if they don't want to come home. <laughs> um, okay, your guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Oh, wow. I would say some of my guilty pleasures would be... I would say playing video games... Um, going to escape rooms. Love escape rooms. Oh. Um, what else would be a guilty pleasure of mine? Mm, watching some Netflix films once in a while. Mm, that's good. There's some good guilty pleasures. Okay, one thing you'd like to achieve in the next year? I'd like to get my own talk show off the ground. <gasps> How exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll do it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching. Thank you. And the first person you call to share good news? My girlfriend. My niece. My best friends. Aww. Yeah. It's a lot of people. I have a team and they're all my family, so I love I seek counsel from every one of them. I love that. Well, Shame and Europe, it has been an absolute pleasure. I honestly have been sort of stunned by your moments. Um, you've articulated some incredibly moving beautiful important uh, messages which I know is going to change so many lives of the people listening and thank you for being light and love and I've had the most glorious time with you so oh, thank you great. so much I'm so excited I feel so privileged thank you I really appreciate you
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 